Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Tuesday, January 30th, day 116 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel Dan here with Zman Yisrael editor Biranit Gorin and Arab affairs reporter Luca Pakiani. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Good morning. Hi, Amanda. We will discuss the ongoing protests at the Kerem Shalom border crossing to stop humanitarian aid from reaching Gaza. We'll talk about Sunday night's massive conference on resettling Gush Katif. Luca is here with an in-depth look at how Arabic language media in the region is depicting Hamas's October 7th massacre of 1,200 in Israel. All this and much, much more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. First, some headlines. Hamas last night appeared to reject a new framework for a hostage deal that had been agreed to by Israel, saying it would not accept any agreement that did not include an end to the war and the withdrawal of all Israeli troops from Gaza. Police have arrested an employee of the United Hatzalah First Aid Organization on suspicion of embezzling hundreds of thousands of shekels of its funds. Israeli troops have killed three members of an armed Hamas cell hiding inside a hospital in the city of Janine in the West Bank. The cell is said to have been planning imminent terror attacks, including one resembling the October 7th Hamas onslaught in Gaza-adjacent Israeli communities. Please check out our ongoing live blog for more updates. Bira, activists and relatives of hostages have arrived again near the Kerem Shalom border crossing this morning, aiming to block trucks with humanitarian aid from entering as long as the Hamas terror group continues to hold 136 hostages and to deny them their basic rights. So first of all, let's talk about who are these protesters? Well, I think there isn't a specific group that you can... Uh you can characterize as a uh, homogeneous. I think it's a connection of several uh, groups, one of them being a few of the families of the hostages themselves or representatives of those families. Another are bereaved uh, families whose sons were killed in, in the war in Gaza who feel that, you know, they don't want their uh, the death of their sons to be in vain or, you know, not to have a meaning. The third group are 
people with either ideological or political uh, agenda that don't believe uh, that we should in any way be benevolent, I guess is the word in their eyes, in any way to, to the Gazans and who believe that there aren't any innocents, if you will, there that in, in a sense Hamas represents the Gazans and, and we are at war with Hamas. So uh, the third, I think, I guess it's a mixture of uh, viewpoints that all culminate to the same idea that by providing humanitarian aid to the Gazans, we're showing uh, benevolence that is not being shown towards our own uh, civilians who are held there. Now, on Sunday, it was declared a closed military zone. So what does this mean that the protests are continuing? Well, we really hope it doesn't come to an actual conflict between the the army and and the and the protesters. Initially, because this is an Israeli area, initially the police had to handle it, and it it found it very hard to do so because you're handling you know fa- families of fallen soldiers and families of hostages, and you don't want to end up having to drag them or or arrest them for whatever reason. So it, they fixed this in a way, or they solve this by announcing this area is a militarized zone, which means that civilians shouldn't be there to begin with. I think it's more in a principled issue that the government is having a problem, you know, handling. This is reflective entirely of a discussion that is going within the cabinet. There are ministers who are very much against the humanitarian aid and would very much like it to stop or or be in any way mitigated and and there are ministers who are saying we have to do this, and and for for uh, uh, for various reasons. One, because it's that's the international law, and that's what we need to do. Two, because we promised the United States we'd do it. It's a, a very small number of people who go there, so even though they represent a bigger number, in this, they're not within themselves a problem. I will put it that way. Now, on Monday night, yesterday night, the White House slammed a conference on that took place on Sunday night in Jerusalem that was aimed at encouraging the reestablishment of Israeli settlements in the Gaza Strip. At this conference, where about one-third of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's cabinet. So the Biden administration was far from the only condemning voice of this conference, where films were shown of soldiers planting the orange Gushkati flag inside the Gaza Strip. And it's it's kind of ironic, because on Sunday, when I was speaking with Jeremy on the podcast about this conference before it took place, we were both wondering if even one minister would attend, let alone 12. So, Bira, what does this signal to you? You know, we wrote about this conference so much before it happened um, our, uh, in, in Zman Israel and in the Times of Israel. Um, our political uh, analyst, Shalom Yerushalmi, who's really been covering uh, politics and, and the settlers for the past 50 years, so he, he knows a thing or two was very adamant it, one article after another that that this is happening that there's a thing happening if you will you know that we shouldn't look at it as a as an anecdote there's a sense as if you know we've we've always treated the settlers as having a part of them that are the fringe who are you know they have more fantasies than realities in a way of how they're going to settle everything from from Gaza to Lebanon for that matter so we kind of like 
ignored it or minimized it. And Shalom was the one who said, you have to look at this. Something is happening here that is not, it's not the fringe. It's actually the mainstream. And, you know, if, if you were to land from Mars and not know anything about Israel and you walked into uh, the conference on Sunday night, 5,000 people, there wasn't enough room for anyone. A lot of people had to stay outside, almost like a Taylor Swift concert. Um, and uh, on, you know, on stage, there were 11 actually ministers. One of them fell ill and didn't come at the last minute the 12th Mickey Zohar. So 11 ministers, out of which five are from the ruling party, from the Likud. So it's not, again, not fringe. Again, not the extreme right parties or anything like this. It's the, the mainstream, the middle of it. And on top of it, 15 or 16 or 17 members of Knesset, also from the coalition. So in total, almost half of the coalition was there. That's that's not fringe. <laughs> that's, that's the ruling... Uh, organ of Israel there talking about transferring uh, and uh, immigrating by will or not by will Palestinians off Gaza, um, settling Gaza Strip, you know, conquering it and settling Gaza Strip with the uh, settlements, going back to what was Gush Katif. Um, there were a few incredible things happening there. I just want to point them out. One of the speakers was uh, was the housing minister, uh, Itzhak Goldnov. Now, Itzhak Goldnov is the head of the Haredi party, United Torah Judaism. And um, the Haredis have never, the ultra-Orthodox, have never, ever, ever stepped into um, uh, anything that had to do with uh, diplomacy and uh, security. It's like, we're backing off, that's not part. In fact, it was part of their ideology that we shouldn't, you know, be involved in this. This is not our thing. So this is the first time a head of a a head of a, a religious party is stepping into this area of nationalism and talking about settling the lands and all of that. It was quite incredible. So I think um, on Monday morning, a lot of people were sh woke up in in a state of shock to realize that this wasn't just an anecdotal conference. It was a serious, real thing. It also comes off two days after we had the decision by the uh, International Court of uh, Justice in, in The Hague, which essentially called us to do what we should and already do, which is take care of humanitarian aid, to make sure there's no incitement for uh, genocide and calling for killings of, you know, of, of Palestinians and et cetera, et cetera. So on, on the back of this, we were like joking that everything that is needed for the next step in The Hague is just to take quotes from that single evening. I mean, it's like you've got a minister after a minister calling there to, you know, to transfer Arabs and to do all this. It was quite incredible. But Bira, also politically, it seemed to me, not to be vulgar, it seemed to me a big middle finger to Netanyahu that all of these politicians were so brazen and on stage saying all of these things after Netanyahu has said quite the opposite. Um, allow me to be a bit cynical here. Um, look, I don't think that Netanyahu is in favor of resettling the Gaza Strip. He said this, he said it very, very quickly, actually, after the, uh, October 7th in one of the first, uh, in one of the first press conferences he held. But uh, at the same time, 
part of Netanyahu's resiliency is to adopt himself to the policies of the partners he needs in order to survive. You know, let's remember he was the leader, for example, as a, as a, one of the best finance ministers, he was the leader in uh, cutting down subsidies for the or ultra orthodox for, for the weak, etc. He was literally the leader. It cost him, it cost him in the next election and he learned his lesson and he has since vowed to always stand by the Haredim and give them whatever they need. So he, you know, he turned within a, a decade, he turned 180 degrees from one side to another. So there's no problem for him to turn 180 de- degrees from being against uh, resettling of Gaza to to being in favor of it and, and actually promoting it if if politically it will make sense for him. The, the, fa- the fact is he said nothing about this conference and when he was called out uh, about it, his response was, we also have freedom of speech in the right, not just in the left. So he looks at it as a, a matter of freedom of speech, which is interesting because um, I don't think that um, freedom of speech was at stake here, but rather freedom of policy. Either you have a policy or you don't. People who represent you and Israel and the government of Israel um, went on stage and stated a policy that isn't really something that the world will accept. And maybe Israel shouldn't accept, certainly not um, something you have accepted so far. So there you have it. Bira, thank you so much for all of these insights. We'll go to a short break and say goodbye. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a four by four. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. According to a Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey research survey that was published last month, over 90% of Palestinians polled believed that, quote, Hamas did not commit the atrocities seen in the videos on October 7th. And they were referring to attacks on civilians. The number rises to 97% when only including West Bank residents compared to 83% of Gazans. Luca, how is this even possible? So there's a number of factors at play here. Um, First of all, the coverage that was given in uh, Arab language media uh, to the atrocities of October 7th against uh, civilians uh, was actually almost non-existent. You could find it in some channels, uh, mostly Saudi and American-owned channels like uh, Larabi and Al-Hurra. But the Al Jazeera, which is by large the most popular Arabic language uh, channel, had absolutely no coverage of atrocities. I mean, it's an Arabic language channel. In English one, you can find it, but no, Palestinians obviously watch that. 
Uh, they basically glorified um, Hamas resistance, as they called them uh, in Arabic, um, for um, breaking through the security uh, border and for attacking Israeli occupation soldiers. But there was no mention of what they did to um, civilians. So that's that's one factor. Um, another factor is that a lot of Palestinians claim they have not seen all this footage that was widely circulated on social media. At least that's what they claim. Uh, I think about 85% of them said that they had not seen the video, although there's uh, this, this figure is contested. I spoke with uh, Michael Milstein, who's the head of the Palestinian Forum at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University, and said that there's no way that no one has seen those videos. Um, he claims that a lot of Palestinians are just in denial at the fact that Hamas would be able um, to do this. Um, a lot of them uh, think that Hamas is, is a pious Islamic uh, uh, resistance movement that would never harm civilians. You know, we also saw it with the release of the hostages, how they, you know, portray themselves as, as basically caretakers of these hostages and they treated them so well, although we know that they were treated very poorly in uh, captivity. And so, you know, Hamas has been very uh, good at uh, portraying itself as just this, uh, you know, this, uh, puritanical Islamic movement. And uh, if uh, uh, news was actually confirmed that they raped and they kill civilians, then the doors of heaven will be closed to them. Um, so a lot of Palestinians refuse to, to believe that. Um, in general, there's also a mistrust of whatever comes out of Israeli media. Um, there have been very few isolated instances of atrocities that were reported at first and then turned out not to be true. And a lot of Palestinians just basically took this to be the whole uh, picture and say, you know, all oh, the Israelis are lying. You see, they even, even themselves, they've admitted that this was made up. And all the images of the uh, torched cars at the Reim uh, Music Festival that was must have done by Israeli helicopters. There's no way that Hamas had a kind of firepower to torch cars, stuff like that. So they, they basically just blame everything on, on uh, Israeli fabrications. One of the voices that you have, you mentioned uh, Michael Milstein. He also noted that no single Palestinian Authority official has officially condemned Hamas and and also that Hamas carried out October 7th without asking in anyone, and yet nobody protests and nobody rebels against them. That was a really uh, interesting idea to me because obviously nobody is condemning, and yet it's possible that nobody is actually supporting the act, but need to put on a face of supporting it. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. And it's very concerning because, you know, we're talking about bringing the Palestinian Authority and Fatah back to rule over Gaza. And these are, you know, these are the people that Israel is supposed to, <laughs> they're supposed to be our partners for peace, but they're not willing to to condemn what uh, Hamas has done. So, yeah, there's, a, I'm, I'm, I mean, Fatah in the West Bank has been losing popularity for years, and they know that the street is in favor of Hamas. So they don't want to come out against Hamas openly. And so uh, they're not actively supporting uh, what Hamas did, at least officially, but they also don't want to come out too strongly against Hamas and say, "Oh no, we 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 condemn them," and they don't want it to be, they don't want to appear to be on the side of of um, Israel. So they're kind of you know playing this balancing game, which is not really, and um, yeah, turn, turning out well for them. You had a report this week which said something along the lines of were Hamas to win uh, general elections in the West Bank that the Palestinian Authority, Fatah, would hand the leadership over to them. What does that mean? Yeah, that's also very concerning. It's uh, it's also part of the fact that the Palestinian Authority has come under a lot of criticism over the past years for not holding elections. Uh, they haven't had elections since 2006 because they knew they would lose them to Hamas. 
And so now they keep uh, portraying themselves as the one who are in favor of democracy or in favor of all Palestinian factions, and they want to include all Palestinian voices and political movements and say, okay, you know, we are willing to have elections and we are ready to lose and uh, hand over government. Uh, but this is what they say in Arabic. Obviously, they would never say something like this in English. They would never admit, uh, you know, be- being open to Hamas uh, ruling over over the West Bank and Gaza. So they're trying to play this game. But uh, again, it's really confusing. In the same theme of communication, you also had a report that Hamas leaders who are in their subterranean bunkers in the Gaza Strip are reportedly communicating with each other using handwritten notes carried around the territory by runners. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah, so we see how the Israeli military pressure is actually uh, uh, working out to some extent. Uh, They had to resort to very low-tech methods to communicate with each other. We know that they're in constant communication because all the time there's, uh, you know, uh, proposals for truces and ceasefire and release of hostages. So they have to formulate positions uh, basically every day. Uh, And apparently uh, this came out in um, Saudi newspaper last week uh, based on Hamas sources or sources close to Hamas, at least. Um, They said that um, Hamas developed in 2009 a system that was using basically existing phone uh, lines with switchboards, so very little, you know, vintage, <laughs> underground. And each Hamas leader in Gaza's underground basically had a content point that they could communicate with each other, basically using the phone lines. But uh, because uh, the IDF has destroyed so much of the Hamas infrastructures and the tunnels, uh, and by the way, the, the, the IDF has known about the system for years. They even tried to hack it and um, eavesdrop. They weren't very successful, but they managed to destroy uh, one of these uh, switchboards, apparently, a few years ago. So because the, the IDF has destroyed so much of the underground infrastructure, they've now resorted to very, very rudimentary methods. They just write their messages on paper, and there's um, Hamas affiliates that run around the Gaza Strip posing as civilians, and they carry these messages around. And apparently Hamas also has an encryption software that allows them to communicate with the Hamas leadership in Qatar and in Lebanon and abroad. Uh, but again, the source messages are all uh, written on paper, and it appears, according to these Hamas sources, that all the decisions are actually made in Gaza. And the Hamas leadership abroad, you know, they're just consulted, and but they're, they're not really looped in the decision-making. Really fascinating. Luca, thank you for all of these updates. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for joining the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwave. So if you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.